Welcome back to Ravens Recap. Hope you guys enjoyed watching a little bit of football this past weekend. Crazy divisional weekend. All the games are close. Cooper Cup and Tyreek Hill are still alive, guys. They're still alive and still doing big things. And we'll have to see what happens in the championship games coming up. But uh, unfortunately, one of the teams that will not be playing this coming weekend is the Baltimore Ravens, as you obviously know. Came up short of the playoffs and are already looking towards next season. Uh, so we're here to review what went right, what went wrong, look at positional grades, and just you know, what can they do to get better. And this week, joining us as a guest, you know, we were just like, you know, all three of us have different takes on this show. You guys have listened to us before. You know that we're, we are all pretty staunch in our takes. I, I still think the David Njoku touchdown catch was, was a no big deal. Alec probably still doesn't think it was as much, but... <laughs> garbage (laughs) but you know there's still some there's still some group overlap so you know we decided hey let's bring in a fourth person you know uh opposite the pod to come in and and give us some fresh takes uh so we went really really far out of our circle and uh picked uh my brother steven you know really far from (laughs) removed from us so (laughs) steven you want to you want to say hi and uh introduce yourself and uh and what you're working on yeah well um my name's steven obviously. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm super excited. I'm trying to get into the podcasting industry as well. So this is my first podcast ever. I don't know. I like to talk about basketball a lot, I'm trying to get more into football, especially since, you know, ever since Lamar came to Baltimore, it's got me a, a lot more into football, probably since like the Super Bowl days. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Cool, man. Well, we're happy to have you on. Uh, it's always nice to to see other people, uh, especially in the community. Of, right, there are a lot of other people who do podcasts and are active and in kind of the sports world. So it's always good to have another face on here. I'm sure we're going to have uh, a number of other guests on throughout the off season as well. We've already talked to a few people, and uh, we should have some pretty good episodes coming up this off season. So definitely for everyone, uh, keep tuning in to us whenever uh, the next pods drop. Yeah. We're basically back, back in business. We had a little bit of a vacation. Uh, I don't know, what was it, three weeks? Because we were waiting for the darn press conference from uh, from Harbs, and it sounds like it's not happening yet. But we do have some news on that front. But I guess we'll just start off with uh, kind of the overarching themes of this season. Um, probably a season best remembered for injury and what could have been. I thought a fun question just to ask everybody, because I'm, I'm like pretty conflicted about it myself, is which injury we thought this year may have defined uh, or impacted the team the most. Oh, man. Definitely not starting with the, with the softball uh, pitches here. <laughs> you know, I, I think I have to say, I have to say Lamar. I, I think that if Lamar played, didn't get hurt against Cleveland, the Ravens win at least one of those six games down the stretch. And it came down to they would have only needed that one win to get them into the tournament. And as we know in Baltimore, just get the Ravens in and see what they can do. Um, That's all they need. doesn't matter what seed they are. And I don't think with all the injuries they would have made the the championship game. But, you know, you never know. There was some weak teams in in the AFC. I mean, the Raiders and the the Titans credit the Bengals, but I don't think anyone really thought the Titans were – that much of a dangerous number one seed but yeah I, I mean I, I think there's a lot of players you could definitely make the case for but given the how far the team was able to get without all of them I think Lamar the Lamar injury was really that uh sunk the season in its totality yeah 
I agree that that was the big one at the end of the season, but one of the huge ones at the beginning of the season was Marcus Peters. Cause you look at all the, all the preseason injuries and we kind of plugged the holes in a little bit. We got Latavius Murray for the running for the backfield. We got Freeman and then we go into the secondary and I mean, we didn't get anybody to replace Peters. We kind of threw in Averett into this bigger role after last season, he didn't really have that big of a role. And I mean, he did fine for what he did this year, but I mean, there was just game after game where there was definitely spots where you just missed Peters. And I think the season would be a lot different with him. Yeah, definitely agree with that. We've been talking uh, over the last couple of weeks of just uh, turnovers, I think have been a problem with this team and, and Marcus Peters definitely could have filled that void for sure. In terms of me, like I kind of took this question two ways. So the the first way, if we're talking about like on the field impact, um, I think those are good answers. Um, I feel like for me, I'm just going to go with Ronnie Stanley though, because uh, I do think that week one we thought, oh man, this is the offensive line. Things looked relatively good. The offense kind of woke up in the second half. It was really just the problems on defense that really lost that game in Oakland. But then immediately after that, Ronnie's out. And then, you know, we have to stick Villanueva on the left side. I mean, that was a huge blow to the offensive line and just the continuity there. Um, and now it's it's so bad to the point where I think it has to become one of the top two, if not top three concerns for Eric DaCosta going into next year's draft. So on the field impact, I got to go Stanley. Off the field, though, if you're talking about like the theme of the 2021 Ravens, I think you got to go to that practice, though, where we lost Peters and Edwards in back-to-back plays. It was one thing for Dobbins to go down. I think we could have survived if it was just Dobbins. But, I mean, when you hit those two guys next, it, it really just kind of sunk the season from a just like an overall uh, you know theme, I think. Yeah, those are all really good answers. To be honest, I didn't even think about Lamar because we had him for most of the season. And I think he cost us those games near the end for sure. Like He, he would have been enough to push us over the edge and we would have gotten some dubs. But uh, the injury I was thinking of, to no shock maybe, is jk dobbins like i i thought about everyone else too um and obviously by losing jk we were pretty confident about gus so maybe i could just say the running back room is is where i'm getting at because i really do think and if we don't see greg roman fired the reason he's not fired is because there's a belief that with a really good running game which we lost because of injury this offense could really really hum and we saw how many games the ravens lost because they weren't able to put up 20 points and I think if the running game was working, the, the pass game would have worked and we would have been really successful. You know, the statistics say that we have the fifth best running game in the league. That is such crap. That's why you never need to look at box scores. You got to listen to our pod, right? Like, that's, that's not the way it worked at all. We were not a top five running offense. We probably weren't even top half running offense. We just happened to have, like, volume there? I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, it it was uh, not great, but... um. Yeah, all great choices. I think Stanley's really high up there as well. Uh, Peters too. Like those are all exactly the kind of people I was, I was thinking about. Yeah, it's funny how you know, kind of near the end of the season, it really you know, with Lamar not coming back at all, the last couple of games of the season, it really the parallels to 2015 season um, are just you know really there for me. Similar kind of thing, right? We just had player after player kind of get down over the last uh, first couple of weeks. And then uh, once Flacco went out, I think, you know, all of us here who watched that season, fans everywhere knew that, like, okay, that, that that just wasn't the year. And it ended up kind of affecting into that next year in 2016 as well. The good news, I guess, you know, for this year is that a lot of those major injuries uh, outside of Bowser and maybe Humphrey, arguably, 
Um, a lot of those happened in the beginning of the season. So, I, you know, I have to think there's a little bit more optimism. At least I feel like I'm a little bit more optimistic that a lot of these guys are able to come back, especially Dobbins, Edwards, uh, Stanley, hopefully. Um, although there's a little bit of doubt there, I think, just from the severity of the injury. But at least Lamar's injury is uh, probably not going to linger. If it was a bone bruise or an ankle sprain, whatever it was confirmed to be, you know, at least we're not talking about like a, you know, ACL kind of phantom back injury that Flacco had in those couple of years in between there where that was a little dicey, but yeah, it's just like I told, like, like I told you guys on the last pod, just, I, <laughs> I'm relieved, man. I'm just relieved that, uh, the season's over and we can kind of just put a bow on it. And I'm excited for 2022 because I mean, you said it, Alec, if, if we would have had a run game this year, I mean, on paper, this offense would have been incredible. So I'm hoping we can replicate at least, you know, 80% of that next year because whew, watch out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think we're looking at a one-year hiatus from the playoffs for the Ravens. Like I said, I think with that 8-3 and three start, they set themselves up where the only way they, they missed out on the playoffs at that point was if they lost all the games, which is what happened. And obviously had big winning seasons the previous two years with Lamar. We saw a big improvement in the passing game this this season. Uh, we'll talk about it later, but um, that was one of the things at this time last year after the Ravens lost to the Bills. A b- big thing we were looking for this offense from was to create an actual passing attack that defenses had to respect. And, you know, first two years under Roman, the passing offense was 27th and 32nd, respectively. Uh, this past season, it bumped up to 13th, and we saw big improvements from the pass catchers as well. So, you know, if the, if the passing offense was able to have that much success with the offensive line as beat up as it was, and without your top three running backs, um, it's tantalizing to think what the Ravens will be able to do next season with those guys back. And your MVP quarterback for a lot of games down the stretch. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the numbers look good. And uh, the only number, I don't want to spoil the whole section coming up, but the only number that didn't look as good was the points per game. And uh, that's kind of what matters, right? I, I really don't care. We could be 32 and 32 if we were number one in points, which would never happen, obviously, but you'd get my drift. Like, that works. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, it's all about scoring points. That's, I think, the biggest regression the Ravens saw. They went from a top seven or first overall offense and scoring points to 17, which is a dramatic delta. And when you lose games by two, one, you know, less than a field goal so many times, that's where it gets you. So that last bit of execution really uh, could have went a long way. So we talked about the injuries at the top of the show and which ones we thought might have been most problematic for the Ravens to overcome. And that kind of ties right into the second like storyline is how the Ravens were the first seed in the AFC, then lost six straight to uh, not even make the playoffs. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, is there a bigger problem the front office needs to address other than let's not get as injured next year? Yeah, it, it, that's been one that I've really been thinking a lot about since the season ended, because going into the season, the big talking points were, you know, before any of the injuries started, hey, you know, this team in the first two years with Lamar as the full season starter um, has just been dominant in the regular season. And then the postseason comes and they they struggled. Um, obviously, there's the blowout loss to Tennessee, but then they, they beat the Titans the next year while looking good, but not great in that game from an offensive perspective. And then 
losing a close one to the Bills where the offense was never able to get into any sort of rhythm at all. Granted, the wind, uh, the extreme wind in that game may have had something to do with it, but still, the offense, even from a rushing perspective, we were expecting the Ravens to have a huge output there with Gus and Dobbins, and that just didn't didn't materialize. So I think it's an interesting discussion, and I don't know if we're going to be able to get to a better answer to that than just incomplete because it was just a season with so many freak injuries that it's hard to really gauge where this team is from a coaching perspective, from a personnel perspective in total, um, because so much of it had to be patched up on the fly. I mean, in July last year, there was no way we were thinking that that we were going to be discussing at the bye week, okay, who's who's going to be the lead ball carrier here between Tyson Williams, Le'Veon Bell, Devonta Freeman, and Latavius Murray? It's just, it just, it's insane. That doesn't happen. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm interested to hear everyone's thoughts on it because I'm, I, I don't know. It's, it's definitely something I've been thinking a lot about in regards to this team. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we could kind of transition a little bit to something we haven't brought up yet, but uh, the recent news with Wink, Wink Martindale being released. I, I feel like kind of connecting the dots a little bit, that has to be a, a big part of this in that, I mean, obviously there have been injuries, uh, especially at the uh, cornerback and, and safety positions uh, this year. Uh, I know some of the guys on the defensive line were beat up a little bit. Uh, Derek Wolf didn't even play for the season. But, you know, I, I feel like it's it's weird, though, because you bring up of just the, you know, not having guys in the right positions, Peter, and the injuries and stuff like that. Well, I mean, we had... You know, we didn't have injuries in 2019, but we had a a lack of positional depth, I guess, in inside linebacker in 2019, which, you know, I guess on one hand, you can kind of highlight maybe to Eric DaCosta and say, hey, you know, we didn't have anybody ready to be able to take over uh, those positions then, which, you know, was an issue. And we went out and we got binds, we got forward, and that seemed to kind of patch it up. But, you know, I feel like, at least for that position group, right? We got Patrick Queen, we got Malik Harrison, like DeCosta kind of addressed that in the draft to be able to get some guys who can play. And we think down the stretch, at least Queen, I think, has shown a ton of improvement this year. Harrison, not so much. He just didn't have as many snaps this year. But I think what that kind of shows is that there was a little bit of a uh, a disconnect between Eric DeCosta's drafting for certain positions and then how Wink was deploying them in the, in the defense. And... I, you know, I feel like it just it came to a head and just like Wink and Harbaugh decided to part ways. And I think that was like, that was kind of a sign of like, hey, look, DaCosta is doing what he can to be able to patch these holes, but we really haven't had the scheme to be able to quite utilize these guys in the right way to be able to have an effective defense. It's like we're relying on having a lot of these cornerbacks, like really good players, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters and all these guys. But like if one or many or all of them happen to go out then the defense kind of you know falls apart it's not as effective right that's kind of my big takeaway it's just that there there seemed to be some disconnect in that in how the defense was operating given the personnel and it looks like you know at least in my eyes it kind of came to a head with wink uh being let go yeah i mean both you guys said it's very difficult to really look at the this season and, and have a clear view on what the issue is considering all the injuries. But I mean, even going back to 2020, not only defense, but offensively, it seemed like sometimes um, 
there wasn't really much creativity. I mean, you look across the league right now, even in the playoffs, I mean, you, you have a bunch of different ways that San Francisco is using Debo and, and Kansas city just comes out with all these creative plays. I mean, as soon as you figure, you think a defense figures them out, then, you know, they come out with something new. So I don't know, maybe it's just, maybe it's just, we need a coaching change. I know, I know also that the coaches have been around longer than DeCosta has been the general manager. So they could not be on the same page. Maybe it is just a personnel change. Yeah. I think what we saw is as the season progressed, Wink got less and less aggressive with the blitz calls and he kind of accepted the fact that he didn't have two all pro cornerbacks, you know, holding down the fort so that he could send zero cover or zero blitz coverage and hope that would get to the quarterback and that a smart wide or even not even smart. I mean, shoot, Andy Dolan screwed us over on that, right? Like, you know, like not, not the best quarterbacks in the league also got the best of us in those situations. We heard, you know, Harbs was a little upset uh, after that one in particular. And I think there is something to be said about Wink's desire to have these versatile Sam linebackers and asking, you know, even guys like Pernell McPhee to go and drop into coverage uh, from time to time and not just always do pass rush. And while I'm still a big believer in Wink's opinion that pressures matter more than sacks, there's definitely something to be said about getting home, getting sacks, impacting the drive that way. And we weren't seeing that. And I think the Ravens want to see a lot more of it going forward. And I think there might be some large changes to the way we approach playing defense from a perspective of maybe less deception and more just solid coverage, you know, um, or having less players do unpredictable things, but have them leveraged in a way where they're doing they're you know, they're playing to their strengths. I think it'll be interesting to see what direction they go forward with the new hire and uh, what kind of play calling they go with. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying, Alec, I don't think that's a dramatic shift, right? I mean, the Ravens are still going to run this sort of hybrid 3-4 system. It's going to be predicated on having an aggressive defense, getting after the quarterback, playing, you know, probably man coverage, and just, you know, being aggressive, rallying the football. Like, all those traits, I think, are common of pretty much any Ravens defense that you can think of. But, I mean, yeah, what what you said around, like, you know, deception and blitzing and you know maybe some of the cover zero uh sort of leaving corners on an island sort of thing maybe we'll see a little bit less of that but I think what you brought up is a good point though of just uh, kind of what I was trying to get at in in terms of just the roster construction and that like you know we just need to get more out of the players that we do have right we know that some of these guys have, have taken a big step up and you know it's just a matter of finding somebody who can take some of those guys to the next step like what are we going to do with Oe, with matabuke with queen can we put those guys in positions where they can play better because we know that they have talent you know we know that they you know have the physical abilities we know they flash talent we just want them to be a little bit more consistent and maybe that also solves a couple other things too i mean one of the uh, problems we had on way early in the season when the defense was really bad was just communication issues all the time, right? Maybe by simplifying things and not having as much deception and all these different, you know, feign blitzes and, and sort of coverages, 
maybe that helps simplify things down and maybe the communication issues aren't as much of a problem. You know, it, it depends on who the Ravens pick. I guess they haven't made that announcement yet as to who will replace Wink. But I mean, I'd have to think that those could be some things that, you know, would probably improve next season that, uh, the, you know, the coaching staff and, and DaCosta kind of noticed uh, that were problems this season. Yeah. And I mean, so it's hard to really say exactly if this proves anything or not because there's a lot of factors in play but I I do think that the front office didn't you know they they noticed the seasons that that Matt Judon and Yannick Ngakwe had um on their respective new teams um and obviously they've seen what Zadarius Smith has done outside of Baltimore now granted Zadarius Smith what he's the productions he's had is pretty in line with what he had in his contract year in Baltimore um but Judon and Ngakwe are putting up um, this year put up bigger numbers than they put up for the Ravens. Again, there's a lot of factors in that, but it does, you know, and I'm not definitely not the first to say this, but it does it lead you to wonder if, you know, maybe there is some stubbornness on Wink's end, or maybe not even stubbornness, just maybe the scheme that's being put in place, like Chris was saying, just, you know, it doesn't take full advantage of the type of players that are currently there. It worked great in 2018 when Wink took over and the Ravens were um, tops in the league in defense or among the top in, in defense. Um, but, you know, you look at, at the players who were on this roster in 2018, there's a lot of differences, a lot of different players, a lot of different playing styles, and that's not necessarily working as well as it did then. I mean, you know, I, I think we saw improvement from the defense as the season went on, but they still finished bottom of the league in pass defense. That's just not acceptable, even with all the injuries. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is a tough move for the Ravens fan base and the Ravens organization. Wink was obviously loved by the players in the front office fan base. We love Wink, but you know, sometimes the front office has to know when it's the right time to move on from a player or a coach. Um, and we'll see what happens. Maybe this is the spark the defense needs to get the full potential of the players the front office is is drafting and we'll just we'll have to see what happens I feel like uh you know at least on the defensive side of the ball I feel like this is probably one of the first moves that's going to happen that people may not like on the surface but probably necessary to be able to stay competitive next year I mean you know gosh it, you know we, we talked at the top of this about the uh divisional round and how all the games were just you know very very entertaining you know came down to the wire very competitive games I mean you know I, I know we love guys like Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams and, and a lot of these players who have uh, Jimmy Smith Tavon Young like a lot of these players who have been Ravens for a long time and we really like them as players but I mean gosh just I, I'm trying to imagine all of these guys on the defense this year playing against you know Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes in that game at Arrowhead like I, I just I I can't I can't imagine those guys playing on there. It's just I feel like that would it would just wear them down entirely. And so we may see some of them back. I'm not saying all of them are going to be released, but I'm saying that like I think some of those guys who you know we might want to try and have back for another year to try and get a ring one more time. I, I feel like that the ship might have been already sailed on that, and that some of these guys may not come back because we know that like hey we got to play a new style of defense to be able to compete with these playoff teams next year because although our offense is going to get some guys back and even the defense will get some guys back 
you know, we need to be getting better because the rest of the league is getting way better. It's interesting. I didn't think we would be having a conversation that was particularly positive about this news. And what I mean by that is uh, saying that you know, this might be the necessary step to move forward. Uh, I was definitely a little disappointed to hear that he was going away. I really liked the swagger he brought. I know that the players liked him. I think those things matter. And I also think both sides of the ball, both coordinators had a very unfortunate hand dealt to them. And I think there's arguments that they should have adapted better than they did. I totally respect that. and understand what everyone's saying with that. But I kind of felt like, you know, if things are a little bit more optimal, maybe these guys were the right people have in, in charge. But I agree, though, with the overall sentiment that there is definite things that could improve or things I would like to see different. And this uh, change will almost assuredly generate a little bit of that, regardless of the personnel changes that will happen as the season progresses. Yeah, and I think one other thing to, to talk about before we move on, and I'm, again, this is also not an original take. We've seen several people say this um, within the Ravens reporting and, and Ravens uh, community recently. But, you know, we know that this Ravens team over the past decade, they draft players and bring in coaches to to beat the Steelers. That was the idea. You win the AFC North, you got to go through the Steelers. And the Steelers, to play well in those games, much different strategy and much different um, personnel than what you're going to need to win against this Cincinnati Bengals team that is now the the arch rival um, ahead of schedule for the Ravens this year. Um, granted, I, I do think it'll be interesting seeing the Bengals next year because um, Vegas had a chance to beat them and they got a cupcake uh, matchup, arguably, uh, in the divisional rounds. So not saying they don't deserve to be in the AFC championship, but they did get a, a slightly easier route than expected that they almost messed up as well. But um, <laughs> right. yeah, I, I think that this offseason, we might see a, a philosophical change in how the Ravens approach defense because, you know, the defense you're going to need to beat uh, a quarterback who can beat the blitz and has several young, speedy receivers who will make you pay when you don't complete on the blitz. I think the Ravens need to make some changes in, in their defensive strategy for that. And both those games kind of showed that when the team was, when the defense was healthier and when it wasn't. So. I don't think that was the only reason that they made the cho- the decision, but I think that had to weigh heavily in the, the front office's decision when uh, when deciding what they wanted to do with Wink. It's definitely an interesting thought. I mean, obviously the Bengals are in our division. That helps. But I think you're right, Peter. Like We have to focus on beating these really prolific offenses, um, passing, usually oriented, in the AFC to get to the Super Bowl, almost more so than our divisional rivals. Uh you can assume that if you're good enough, you're going to beat your divisional rivals enough to get to this, uh, you know, into the playoffs. Even if you have to get a wild card berth, I almost like rather match up against the fa- the challenges you'll face in the playoffs more so than the challenges in your regular season. That is true, but I think yeah, you you can also make the argument in the postseason you're going to face Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen and probably Justin Herbert as well in the years coming. Uh, and Joe Burrow, so, which is going to be a similar uh, take. Oh, yeah, but, that's what I'm saying. Because like, yeah. we have Burrow in our division, it'll work out just fine. But Right, yeah. yeah I mean, isn't that ridiculous? I, I tweeted it out. 
I I didn't le- I didn't include Herbert in my original calculations, but after getting a little bit more thought, I was like, oh crap, he's there too. That's six. Six of the seven <laughs> seeds should be determined for the next ten years, in my opinion. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous how good these quarterbacks are, and when they are like clicking, they they take over games. It's wild. It's gonna be some exciting postseasons coming up. That's for sure. <laughs> And this is even even before you know the Jaguars put a uh, competent offense around uh, Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I was I was gonna say Herbert Herbert hasn't made the playoffs yet, so you know it's not his spot to lose. Could be could be Lawrence's. Yeah, it's wild though, man. Like uh, a conversation I really like to have on this podcast, just to, like tangential to the season recap, is these overtime rules, which I think are horrible. <laughs> um. Oh, like, let's have it. I have thoughts. Like, okay. So, <laughs> so like, I have lots of thoughts, too. I think we can all agree that more football is not a good idea. That's why we were like not great about the 17th game. Like, overtime and more back and forth, this very violent sport, not ideal. However, the NFL, the last 10 years, has decided to get very offensive, right? No de- don't denying that. They love their offense. They've skewed it towards the offense. And you have two absolutely gunning offenses just going back and forth back and forth they scored what you know three touchdowns and a field goal in a minute and a half right okay (laughs) we all knew whoever won that coin flip was going to win this game there was pandemonium at arrowhead (laughs) because the chiefs got the ball first everyone knew what was about to happen and then it happened and guess what they knew it was going to happen because in the playoffs Nine of the last 11, no, sorry, 10. It was nine out of 10. Now it's 10 out of the last 11 games. The people who got the coin flip won. And seven of them won. No, wrong. Again, it was seven. Now it's eight. (laughs) They won on their first possession. (laughs) The other team doesn't even get to see it. So it's like, how can you feel comfortable with these rules, particularly in the playoffs where the great offenses are um you know concentrated because they have to be they're in the playoffs how can you be comfortable with this it's so dumb and particularly when defenses wear down more than offenses this is a known fact right like because the offense knows what they're doing the defense has to react so they need to be extra uh, athletically gifted in a way to succeed i, I think it is the dumbest most awful setup <laughs> as it is right now and it there are ways to improve it they must improve it yeah it is ridiculous like every time every time this happens you always go on twitter the next day and it's all over and everyone's disagreeing with it and then you the articles come out and everyone's like oh just change it to college rules but i think the college rules would have made it a little worse um because the game would have dragged on but i mean yeah at least at least give both teams a fair chance to score in overtime I mean, football is about getting a stop as well. So, so I want to say this to every like I've played every single argument here. I, I love getting on when people. <laughs> so I, I just want to say this: anyone who's like the defense needs to make the stop, yeah, let the other defense make a stop. Like, yeah, sure, the Bills defense didn't make a stop. Why are we implying the Chiefs defense would have either? The problem but then is the where, but when, where does it end? <laughs> I, I do have to interject there. Right. When, when does it end, though? Because then we'd be like, I have, so then, I have a solution. I have okay. a solution that doesn't okay. involve defenses. But uh, yeah, no, like, I mean, totally. I mean, that, that is a problem. But I guess like my issue with it is like their defense should have stopped them. And it's like we're both agreeing that no defense was making a stop here. <laughs> right. So my, one of my solutions I thought about is like put the ball at the 45 yard line 
you don't even have to have people blocking per se and you just do like like a golden uh, not golden goal that's what they replace like just do a shootout essentially of field goal kicking and it goes on to the field goal kickers because the field goal kickers have been getting less and less important particularly in the playoffs I think you put it on the play, and I'm not even saying this as us having Justin Tucker. Mm. I think it would like put in more emphasis on that position as like an interesting way yeah. to end the game, right. and it doesn't soccer, involve soccer. Does it? Hockey does it? It's a shootout. Yeah, you end. just literally yeah, yeah. do a shootout. Penalty you put, kicks. You do a 55 yarder, not even just for the Hagar. I think that's like the right distance where all the kickers should be able to make it, but it's definitely not easy. Uh, you don't want to just be like 40 because like you know if it's like extra point length, they'll just be gimme gimme gimme, even with the extra pressure. I think you have to make it hard, but reasonable. And I thought about 50, but I was like, nah, 55. Like, it has to be, like, actually challenging. I think 50 is a little too close. So, like, give it a 55-yarder, best of five, and if they have to keep alternating afterwards, they do. I think it would be epic. And you don't have to even have blockers. And, like, I think that makes it easier, obviously, because they could shoot it lower. Um, I don't know. I, I could I could have an opinion about blockers. I do think the blockers make it a little difficult, though, if you're worried about, like, lots of collision and impact back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Yeah. I, I will say I've I had the same idea and um I mean uh who's it Markowski in our in our chat yeah, also had yeah. the same idea. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, I've I've thought about this idea before. My idea is, is basically what Alex is saying, only slightly different. You you start out at say like I don't know, the twenty yard line and you just keep moving it the kick back ten yards until someone misses. And the, I mean I guess until, you know, you hit like sixty yard or fifty five yards and then if, if just kick, kicking 55 yarders until one of the kickers misses. But <laughs> I, I would be really interesting if you pulled the NFL fan base, what, what fans would actually think of that idea. I mean, obviously as Baltimore Ravens fans, we have Justin Tucker. And before that we had Matt Stover, like we, we love our field goal kickers here, but a lot of teams don't <laughs> love their field goal <laughs> kickers and one field goal is eliminated. Um, I mean, I, I love the idea. I think it's I think it's excellent, and I think it's the perfect solution um, to it. But and I think you you could even bring out a wall. It could be like a huge thing. Like you bring out a wall because that that could like signify like you have to hit it over this distance at the goal line. So you don't have to actually like simulate the you know yeah uh, players doing player things. You build a wall. <laughs> and you like you bring it out. Everyone goes crazy. The wall's coming out. <laughs> you could even. Um, have them have to shoot on both angles, you know, like each goal side. So you have like wind effects. So they're like flipping sides. Like, I mean, it could be, it could be epic. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, uh, <laughs> I, I saw this take of somebody, uh, somebody was replying, I think to what Sarah Ellison was posting on this the other day, but I, I, I really agree with this. Uh, I think this gives a lot more credence to what Harbaugh did against the Steelers and go for that two points to win the game than in there. Uh, you don't have to worry about the overtime rules if you don't make it to overtime. You just win it when you can, right? If you know that your defense is going to be gassed, you went try to win it right there. And if you don't, you don't. But you're not going to, you know, uh, draw it out and then lose with an extra ten minutes and get your guys more injured or you know or gassed playing defense when they have no business playing defense. So I know that wouldn't have worked for the Chiefs Bills game because they were trading touchdowns and only had to uh, kick a field goal to tie it. But um, if you have that much time left and you can just go for the win, go for the win. And then don't kick a touchback with 13 seconds left and pay prevent defense. I just, I don't, I don't understand that at all. I well, feel like the other issue they made, Chris, is, is not just that, but when you, you play prevent, but rush four, horrible idea. Well, you should be playing prevent and rush zero and make it so that it's harder for him to pass the ball. Yeah. And that wastes time. 
Like yeah. it was the dumbest combination all all time. It was, the whole, it was we, bad. The NFL, <laughs> it was bad. They, we've figured out, the NFL has figured out how to stop the deep ball to Tyree kill. It's like it's it's one of the easiest known secrets now now to know. Just <laughs> do exactly what Alex said. That's what teams were doing, taking away the deep ball. And they didn't, oh, man, Bills fans, man, I feel you. That that was. Whew. What a collab. I, yeah, I couldn't so believe sad. it. I couldn't believe what the Bills, how the Bills handled that at the end there. Yeah. I mean, I know we can't do the uh, hold people forever. Uh, that was taken away by the NFL, unfortunately. But, like, I feel like, I don't know. I'm not I'm not worried about uh, Harbaugh's coaching decisions when we had to watch the Bills game there. I'm just like, <laughs> they, they just made all the wrong decisions at the end there. Also, don't forget about spot and choose. Everyone loves spot and choose. So, I think uh, that might be a reasonable solution as well for the overtime but yeah it's a it's a mess man it, it, it was it was sad to see that i also think it was sad because i i would not think i'm being crazy to think everyone here was rooting for the bills uh either for familial reasons or just like we've seen enough of the chiefs at this point and uh yeah i mean i thought i thought it was a great year for them to win it seemed like they could do it and then slipped away so it sucks that they like picked up where they left off in the 90s they feel like they probably feel like it's all happening all over again. I know, I know. That franchise is so cursed. Yeah. Oh man. Well, at least they got to you know, they got to blow out Belichick in the playoffs. Well, they at least have that. It's fair. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think our, our discussion there actually kind of um, went into another point uh, that is good to talk about in this season retrospect. Um, and Chris brought up the two point conversions that were happening in the last third of the season um, that. Uh, had you know absolutely no discourse among the fan base at all everyone very united um in their stance (laughs) of (laughs) agreement on which side of the coin we're all on on that and obviously i'm being facetious that was probably that was i i think that's that has to be like one of the the most divisive um things that i've ever seen the fan base is just just torn just like right in two people who think the Ravens were doing the right thing there and going for two and people are just like ah no that was that was dumb what were they doing they were throwing those games away they probably lose those ga- those all those games regardless um but I think it is worth a discussion you know what the Ravens plan should be in the offseason with approaching this because we discussed it you know sometimes they called the right play and it was just in a in a time when we knew the offense was out of sync and that happened against Pittsburgh. They got the look they wanted. They called the right play. Lamar and the entire offense were basically, you know, couldn't get on the same page that day and the, and an easy play failed. Um, or you had a day where the offense was clicking like against green Bay and they called the wrong play a play that didn't have a high success rate. So like, I, I think this is another discussion point. Personally, I think, you know, that, Regardless of what the Ravens try and do, and I think they will try and do that again in the right circumstance, um, they have to have a better plan going forward on what plays to call in that situation um, because it, it worked against the Colts, but pretty much against no one else uh, last year. Even even if it was the right thing to do, in theory, the plays they were calling uh, didn't really... Uh, work for the situation in most cases yeah it felt like um i mean first of all if if half of those worked we wouldn't even be talking about this right now probably which is just crazy about it and like like this wasn't even a topic at the beginning of the season but i do feel like ever since lamar has gotten to baltimore um 
Harbaugh has just gotten insanely like aggressive with his play calling. And he feels like that. I don't know that maybe in those scenarios that they're a little invincible with their play calling. And I don't know. I feel like, I feel like he's gotten a little too aggressive maybe, but then again, it worked at the beginning of the season. So it might not be that, but I mean, towards the end of the season, that's what it looked like. We seem to have lost our way with situational football this year. I think we weren't as poised. I've said that all year long. I think we lacked poise and composure in uh, certain places in the field, certain scenarios. So you had us uh, struggling to get lined up properly and getting delay of games or, um, or you know, uh, offside penalties without knowing the snap count, deep in the red zone, ruining those uh, drives and having to sell for field goal or um, just very bad execution or, or even questionable play calling at the two-point conversion moment. I think the biggest thing that I would do in this regard or like how I would go forward is if you want to be aggressive, I think an extra level of practice and um, game planning around these scenarios needs to be done. I just would like to see more composure getting to the line faster. I don't know why Harbis was implying that it was a player problem as far as getting to the line of scrimmage fast enough. Like the calls were getting in, but the personnel weren't orchestrating fast enough. If that's the case, they need to work on that. Right. Whatever it is. I don't know what it is. I'm not in the room, but I think it all comes to a lack of preparation while they're not even in the play. And I think, you know, you see, I think the, the most frustrating part for Ravens fans is you see how incredibly creative and poised the Chiefs seem to be in these situations. The Chiefs, man, when they need to get, you know, a, a key fourth down, not so much fourth downs for the Ravens, but they need to get two points. They come out there and they have like Kelsey as quarterback. They're doing motions like, you know, <laughs> and they're making it look like it's easy. And you're like, what's <laughs> what's going on? Right. <laughs> like the Ravens are going out there in their most traditional heavy package because they're obsessed with it. And they're all looking at each other like, wait, what's the play? <laughs> you know, like, And then there's, a, you know, emotion. Like, I just feel like there is a an overall like lack of sense of urgency in those situations and just not not the best execution. It's almost like there's too many plays in the vault. <laughs> you, like, you know too many plays for the guys to know and you kind of like have dumb it down but i mean i would honestly say like if you have 10 plays like <laughs> you can just hold up fingers that's probably enough for a season like honestly like if yeah. you, as long as they're different enough and they all are out of the same personnel grouping like how's the team supposed to like you know prepare i think that's actually a huge key i think you should have a uh we need to make this play personnel grouping you know what I mean? And yeah. it's, it's your it's your all stars. They all come out. It's like the hands team, but like next level, right? Like if they're all available, you know who they are. They they're like predetermined. You're going out there. These are the five plays for this week that we'll consider. Go get her done. You know, I I, yeah. I don't know what's going on. Like maybe maybe they already do that kind of stuff, but I feel like they don't. I I think they should know going into the game. These are the plays we're going to call for these situations. We practice them all week. There's no ifs, ands, or buts, and we go execute. And maybe it's already like that, but if it is, like, shoot, man, were they sleeping during that drill? Like, <laughs> did it look like yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with your base point, though, right, of just, yeah, a lot of lacking of poise, and there were a lot of just, you know, last year it was illegal shift, and 
we had so many of those penalties from you know not people guys not getting set and all that crap and it was annoying this year was definitely uh the just the boneheaded like delay of games and you know just not being set properly and making dumb decisions in the in the huddle uh just that was the issue i think of the 2021 ravens if you look at like offensive execution but uh i mean i I think you're on to something you know i I feel to roman's credit like look i mean i i don't think this is a like a common thread you know i mean the ravens of 2019 and even 2020 i mean i think that they had poise i mean there are plenty of of plays in there like they get set they would run the right play and they would you know 2019 seemingly like you know they were just unstoppable like they had the play and it was also a play that the other team knew exactly what they were going to run and they couldn't stop it they were just that dominant and that poised and that confident that they could pretty much do whatever they wanted I feel like with 2021 it it really for me just come down to like you know of of just injuries basically It, it comes down to a lot of the guys in the huddle just don't have that experience. They don't have that confidence to be able to, you know, build that poise, right? I mean, especially near the end of the season, a lot of these uh, delay of games and things are from when Huntley's under center. I just, I don't think Huntley was prepared for that. I don't just don't think he, it's it's not frequent in practice that he is going to get that, right? Lamar is going to get those practice reps, especially if we're talking about like training camp and all that stuff. And that's also when JK and Gus were also in there. So Latavius and Devontae Freeman, they didn't get any of those snaps. Tyson, you think he got that as a four-string running back? He probably didn't get any of that. So, uh, you know, like I, I don't, I don't expect the Ravens to be able to do that mid-season all the time. I mean, maybe a little bit here or there, but not consistently when you have to, you know, build a game plan specifically for another team. So, you know, I, I, I don't know, like. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's fair to compare to the Chiefs just because, I mean, they've had the same guys do this for multiple years and, you know, th- that sort of stuff just builds over time, right? I mean, they may switch out like one or two guys here or there, but for the most part, that core is there. Like they, you know, they have the same guys playing. They know what they're going to do because they've done it for so long. Uh, whereas this year, it was just we had to try and make do with what we had and it just, you know, so many guys going in and out. It's just, I don't know. It wasn't really good. But 2022, Lamar Jackson comes back under center. Um, as long as he's healthy, like I have full confidence we're going to bounce back. I, I think, unless we want to talk a little more about this, I think this is actually a good time to transition to uh, talking about Lamar Jackson, which um, is a talking point. I think, you know, first half of the season, uh, he looked stellar. I think we saw his accuracy look the best it's been his entire career. Um, he carried the team through a lot of injuries. And then after the bye week, you know, there's the win against comeback win against Minnesota. But then after that, there was the debacle in Miami and then the mystery non-COVID, non-flu illness that knocked him out of the Chicago game. And then two games against Cleveland and Pittsburgh where we just saw a lot of plays that he made that just were not what we expected from him. Just just some um, some misreads and some carelessness with the football some in the fan base took exception with that. And, you know, there was some talk among some fans that he wasn't deserving of a a big contract. I don't, didn't really talk to that many fans who actually believed that. So I don't know how widespread that is, but, you know, I think we're all in agreement here that Lamar Jackson is 100% the quarterback of the future here, but there were some struggles 
at times this season. And do we just chalk this all up to just injuries to the offensive line and, and Lamar struggling through whatever long-term effects there were from the illness? Or is there actually some things in his game that will need adjustment going forward for next season? I don't know if there's I don't know if there's too much of a major adjustment. I mean, I get you know, I'm sure we could talk a lot about just some of the passing concepts we want to try and open up. Can Greg Roman really take another uh, can he take another big step in improving the passing offense? You know, we took a big step from 2020 and you know, I think that showed this year even with all the injuries and and Huntley having to finish out the last couple games, but uh, overall it did take a step forward. You know, certainly we'd like to see a little bit more like balance from the passing attack and we you know have a short passing game can we have a medium passing game and not just rely just on the long passing game as it seemed to really rely on in the beginning uh, part of the season like I don't think that's a Lamar problem I do think that's just like an overall offensive construction problem the only thing I'd like to see him clean up is you know we need to cut down the interceptions we need to cut down a little bit on the hero ball and you know he's got to rely on the weapons that he has out there I think you know, health, first of all, is the, the, the first thing that's going to happen. Having all of his guys out there and having guys that he can trust, like, I, I think automatically is going to make it a little bit better. You know, but, uh, like, we've already seen Lamar take such big strides in his game the first couple of years. Like, I don't think, like, yeah, I mean, there it could be a little bit of regression for this year, but, you know, I don't have reason to believe that it's going to get worse, I guess. I, I think he'll, he'll bounce back. I think he'll... You know, do what he can in the off season to improve wherever he thinks they needs to improve, and and then you know we'll pick up where we go uh, next year. Yeah, I wasn't too concerned about the Lamar Jackson story this year. I mean, obviously, you don't want to see any player go through a slump like that. We don't like to see the hero ball, but we saw how good he was at the start of the season. You can't forget about that. We've seen how good he was in 2020, 2019, where he's MVP, and even 2018, where he came in and turned around the team and saved the season. I think Lamar is undeniably one of these top-tier quarterbacks you want to build around. I think you give him uh, a little bit more balance of an offense. Give him a line. For the love of God, give him a line. You give him a line. (laughs) You know, you get him, his running backs back. You keep the wide receivers you have. You got Mark Andrews. He'll be the number one offense next year. Book it. Like, I'm I'm not even, like, hesitating to say that. I really do think with, like, League average health on offense and improved offensive line. We are the number one offense. I put money on that. Even since week one, you could see like in the Raiders game, Lamar was kind of, you know, forced out of things and then had to, had to do stuff on the fly and he looked panicked at some time. So, I mean, yeah, like once we get a healthy line and his progression has also gone through, the receivers that he's gotten. I mean, his his MVP season, he just had Marquise Brown and I mean Seth Roberts. I'm trying to think of who I, like like yeah. Willie Sneed <laughs> Willie was fine, Sneed. but you know, yeah, the yeah, most exactly. unimpressive group of humans. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Mark Andrews, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he was still able to win an MVP off of that. So once you introduce like Rashad Bateman, who's an incredible route runner, and and you know, he's he's a bright spot on this offense, and Marquise Brown's improving and and Lamar's improving himself. I mean, like that those last few weeks that he played were chaotic. I mean, he was he was sick, and then it was three big divisional games in a row, and then he got hurt in the in the last one. So I mean, those games are gonna be tight anyways. And I mean, it was just probably just like all this stuff that happened throughout the season with all the injuries and stuff like that. It all just collapsed on itself. And I think that's when it really started. 
Yeah, and I, I think I'm in agreement too. I mean, there was just so many factors in play that I, I think if Lamar hadn't got injured, probably against Green Bay, uh, we would have seen him come back to what we expected from him. I I think that there was just, like we said, he just felt like he had to do too much. There were too many injuries, um, and then the sickness. Just a lot of things that, that are just not what he's going to have experience in most of the games that he's going to play throughout his career. Uh, so I don't see why a couple game slump. I mean, I know it was the last we saw of him, but it's just, we're just picking like three or four games where he played, you know, not as well as we expect from him. And still in each of those games still made at least two or three plays. that really made you go. I mean, like the game against Cleveland on Sunday night, arguably one of the worst games we've ever seen Lamar play, but still he had that play where Miles Garrett just had to, what, what did he do? Just shake his hand after it when he like backpedaled like 20 mm-hmm. yards and then just threw it up there for Andrews. I mean, that was one of his worst games he played in his career, and still he was able to make that type of play, and the Ravens still won it too. I mean, I, I, I think it's just way too much of a small sample size to say like, oh, well, now we don't want to pay this guy big money because we don't know if we can trust him because of that. I, I don't think it, I don't see how it, it uh, invalidates what he's done earlier in his career. So, And I think that's the way the front office sees it as well. So I think we'll see Lamar, like Alex said, just come back and pick up right where uh, right where he left off from the Minnesota Vikings game. I do think it's really critical the Ravens extend him ASAP because by extending him this year, we'll open up some cap space. And by opening up cap space, you can imagine we will make the best environment for him to succeed. And by giving him the best environment to succeed, the investment looks like it's a brilliant move. I, I, like, I feel like the incentive structure is set up <laughs> that he needs to get paid to give him the best scenario to win it's like a really weird setup uh of, in- of incentives for the next year but yeah i mean it's either that or you get screwed like you know quarterbacks don't grow on trees they're <laughs> particularly level quarterbacks at this level i think you gotta lock him up and uh make him happy and i i think that's kind of maybe goes into the next discussion topic of greg roman he hasn't gone yet we also haven't seen that press conference and i think if he makes it, you know, if we don't if we don't hear that he's gone before then, he's going to be around through the season. Uh, you know, maybe he gets fired during the season, but that's not necessarily the path anyone wants to go down. I think if you're keeping him around, the plan is to, you know, <laughs> have it work. Um, to me, like, I am neither here nor there about the Greg Roman situation. I have not moved after seeing Wink go. But, uh, yeah, I think that's a a point of controversy i know with the fan base there's a whole you know hashtag that pops up on twitter and trends uh so no (laughs) (laughs) because everyone thinks that firing your coordinator is the the way to success i mean i i joked about it i i i wish i could like put you know the sarcasm uh more clearly but like i was joking like the prophecy must be that we fire greg roman and then we'll you know ascend into you know super bowl glory uh, just because it worked once does not mean it's the playbook. Um, that is not like the ideal setup at all. Turns out having a functioning offense day one is yeah. usually more ideal. Yeah, I mean, I think if Greg Roman was going to be gone, he would be gone by this point. And I also think that if the Ravens were going to let go Greg Roman and you kept him after last season, I don't see why you would get rid of him this season. Just just looking at it from the front office's perspective, and we'll get to whether or not that's the right decision after that. Um, 
Because, I mean, you look at, again, we already talked about it. What did this passing offense was ranked dead last in the league last year? So we said, you know, a big thing the Ravens have to do going forward with Greg Roman, he has to figure out how to fix the passing attack. And that's what they did. I mean, the first half of the season when, when Lamar was healthy, uh, it was being talked all throughout the fan base, all throughout the local media. This is the most explosive passing offense we've ever seen the Ravens do. And we already know that Greg Roman has has given us the most explosive rushing offense that we've ever seen out of the Ravens. I mean, the, the people who want to fire Greg Roman, I mean, the argument is never that 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 there's a problem with his plans for how to, to rush the ball. It's just, you know, the arguments are passing attack was, was weak and predictable and um, in-game adjustments and play calling could be better. But I, I think when you just look at what we saw this year, again, the passing attack improved in spite of not having a, a functioning running game out of your out of your running backs um again like we said how much better could it have been if if we had just one of Dobbins or or Gus let alone both of them and then at the same time when we talk about in-game situations I know a goal line offense the past the last four games of the season was a big talking point and questions about whether or not the best plays were were designed there best cadence between rush and pass and I know you know the argument against the Rams a big uh, talking point among the fan base was that it was a mistake for the Ravens to, to just keep rushing inside the 20. You know, we saw they had a lot of success on that drive against the Rams. I think it was early fourth quarter, late third quarter. And eventually the Rams defense caught on and, and stopped that. And that drive stalled. The Ravens had to go for a field goal. And the takeaway after the game was, okay, well, the Ravens, they probably should have should have passed down there. Well, next week, you, you know, Ravens begin. I, <laughs> I think it was one of the quarters. Maybe it was the fourth quarter, and they're inside the twenty, and they're like, "Okay, we'll try a pass this time." Huntley gets intercepted in the end zone. That didn't work either. So it's it's you know part of its player execution as well. You know the play the offensive coordinator can call whatever plays they will, but even if they call the best plays, if the execution just isn't there, then you know it's going to look bad on the coordinator. But <laughs> if the players don't execute the play, then it's not going to work. That's not really an endorsement one way or the other. I think I'm kind of in the same boat with Alec. I think that the Ravens could get a better coordinator than Roman. Um, but at the same time, when you look at that, you have to look at why has Roman been here for so long? Why was Roman even the guy that replaced uh, Marty? Because, again, the same thing we talked about with why Wink, one of the reasons why Wink might be gone, is just because this guy at the time fit the player personnel and the strengths of those players' personnel. So you could get a different offensive coordinator and you might see some improvement in the passing attack, but are we going to see the same effectiveness of the rushing attack, even with a healthy Dobbins and Edwards? I don't know. I mean, you know, let's remember, let's not forget that Edwards was a, was an undrafted free agent and Dobbins is a second round running back. You know, he was passed up as a first round back. Um, are these guys really as good as they've looked under Roman or as they benefited from Roman's scheme? I don't know. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of middle of the road. I'm just like, you know, you could get someone better than Roman, sure, but also I don't think he's the worst offensive coordinator ever, and you can have an effective offense with this guy if guys are healthy. Right. I thought we were just giving a pass to everybody this year, but, I mean, considering that, that that's not the case anymore, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that it was fine. I mean, especially dur- during the beginning of the season, we were putting up, I mean, how many 30-point games did we have? We had like four or something like that in the first however many weeks. There's only so much that you can do with with dwindling personnel on the offensive side. And I do agree that some of the play calling could have been better to, uh, down the stretch. But is that not with most 
offensive coordinators. Like I know the Kansas city chiefs have been awfully up and down all season and they seem to be doing just fine in the playoffs. So, I mean, are we really going to just hold him accountable for anything, everything that he does? I think that, I mean, he deserves another chance. Like you said, Peter, he's been here for a while, so he's doing something right. So, yeah, I think that, I think that as we continue to get more talent on the offensive side, it would be really interesting to see what he can do with that. Yeah, I think that kind of does wrap up the Ravens season in a way. Um, obviously, the team is figuring out their next steps going forward, and we'll be there all along the way to discuss offseason signings, uh, any other personnel changes in the front office uh, as far as uh, coaches, and then we'll start getting our draft board figured out, figuring out the top prospects for the Ravens to target at all different levels of the draft. And uh, we'll have other offseason episodes that we're planning out and other guests. We want to thank Stephen for joining us today and giving us another perspective on this Ravens season. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. Yeah, man. And uh, we're looking forward to hearing your upcoming show uh, when it does start coming out. And uh, are excited for you. Thank you. You can follow us on Twitter, Ravens underscore recap, or you can email us feedback at ravensrecap.com. We appreciate you all. And uh, go Ravens and enjoy some football. Let's uh, enjoy the most out of these championship and Super Bowl games coming up, even though we're not in them, uh, and learn how we can prepare so we can be the best fans possible when we are in them next year. Who's going to lead us in today? Oh. We gotta clap. You gotta clap. I guess gotta I'll clap. lead in since I invited well, the guest. Okay. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I usually don't care about the clap anymore because we use the audio track from Zoom to sync up local tracks. But huh. you know, Peter gets tradition. really upset if I don't clap. So <laughs> three, <laughs> it's two, one. Listen to that beautiful clap. Beautiful clap. We don't have traditions. Clap. What nice. are we? You get rid of traditions. That's the foundation of, of everything you do. And then, you know, you just, you're just spiraling out of control from there. You need something to ground <laughs> you. It's the clap. <laughs>